Amen. All God's people said, amen. amen. I hope you have your Bible open to Mark 8, and I want to encourage you to leave it open in front of you to Mark 8. And something that's helpful to me, I don't always say this kind of thing, but something that's helpful to me is when I'm using my phone to just swipe down from the top right, if you have Apple or I don't know you Android people, and hit that do not disturb button, that will go a long ways in keeping your heart focused on the word of God this morning which is what the Lord wants us to do. Is that right? Amen. He wants our hearts to be focused on him. He wants our hearts to be focused on his word. And I just want to say this to you this morning before we jump in here. You are so, so loved. The Lord loves you so much. And we sang this morning, your love surrounds us. His love is in you. And this morning, the Lord wants you just to see him a little differently, just to know him a little bit more so that you can experience this great love that he already has for you. But the reality is we don't always live in that love, do we? Like sometimes we go about our days unaware of just how deeply the Lord loves us, just how much he's changed us, and just how that should impact the way we live every single day. It's like we have blinders on, and it's like we need the Lord to open our eyes so that we can have a clear picture of him. And I'm gonna point out to you that in this story that we just heard, that's the point. These three together, the Pharisees seeking a sign, and then you have the disciples in the boat misunderstanding what Jesus meant by leaven, and then you have uh, the uh, blind man being healed. These three stories are strung together to give us this picture of Jesus and his ability to heal those who are blind, and I'm not just talking about physical sight. So let's just make sure we understand what we're looking at here this morning. After Jesus fed the 4,000, remember talking about that last week? These 4,000 Gentiles, 4,000 Gentiles that Jesus fed. Then right after that event, the Pharisees disputed with Jesus about his claims that he is the Messiah. And they wanted Jesus to perform another sign, supposedly to show that he is the Messiah. But the scripture says they asked for the sign testing him. So not so genuine request for a sign. And then Jesus, he refused to give it to him. And then Jesus warned his disciples of the leaven of the Pharisees. Now that's a little strange, but we know what leaven does. A little leaven leavens the whole lump and it causes the, the dough to rise and, it, rise and it just takes a little bit of that leaven to impact the entire uh, dough that you're working with. And Jesus said, you know what the leaven of the, of the Pharisees is? It's their hypocrisy. That's what he said in Luke 12, one. He was really clear. The leaven of the Pharisees is their hypocrisy. So when Jesus gave his disciples this warning, they thought that it was because they did not prepare enough bread for the journey. They only had one loaf in the story. They were blind to the meaning of what Jesus was saying. And you know, Jesus seems amazed by their confusion at this point. I mean, think about what they've witnessed up to now, the feeding of 5,000, the feeding of 4,000. And here they are with one loaf and just a few of them in a boat. And they're going, oh, we didn't bring enough bread. That's why he's talking about the leaven. They were blind to the meaning of what Jesus said. And Jesus seemed amazed by their confusion. And so he asked them a rhetorical question. He said, how is it that you do not understand. Now that's a rhetorical question because Jesus already knew the answer to 
this question that he was asking his disciples. His disciples able to understand ears. If the disciples understood Jesus' message about the leaven, Jesus restores the sight of a blind man in Mark 8, 22 through 26, which we just heard that story. And, and keep in mind that, that strange instance in the story where he's partially restored and he sees people walking like trees and then he's fully restored. And we'll, we'll get back to that as we work our way through this passage. But the order of these stories and the, the sequence that happens here is no mistake no coincidence, it's no accident. Jesus wanted his disciples to understand this very important spiritual truth that he has the power to heal people of blindness and not just physical blindness, but also spiritual blindness. Now this healing that we heard the record of in Mark's gospel account this morning, it's one of eight recorded instances in scripture where Jesus restores the sight of someone who is blind. There were several reasons throughout the ministry of Jesus and throughout this gospel of Mark, we've seen him do this. There are several reasons why Jesus heals people of their physical uh, condition. And one of those reasons that Jesus heals people of their physical condition is because he has compassion for people. He has compassion for you. He has compassion for the people of this world. Do you remember last week in the story of the feeding of the 4,000 when the disciples did not have compassion in their hearts for the Gentile crowd that had gathered, what did Jesus say? He said, I feel compassion for these people. It was an expression of his heart. It comes out of his character and his nature. Compassion is who he is. So Jesus would heal people of their physical condition because he wanted them to know that God has compassion for them. But another reason Jesus healed people throughout his ministry on the earth is as a sign. He wanted to demonstrate by his power that he is God. In fact, when we think about this episode that takes place on the boat and this teaching from Jesus about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, we understand that this lesson was about their hypocrisy because they had not accepted the signs that Jesus had already performed and here they are asking for another one. I mean, events like this, signs like this, miracles like this were unprecedented in Israel. Jesus had been performing signs and wonders and miracles from calming seas to healing people of their diseases to casting out demons. And the Pharisees, members of their own sect, were there witnessing these signs that Jesus was performing. And then they come to Jesus and say, now perform a sign and prove to us that you're the Messiah. And Jesus says, I'm not gonna do it. That sign you're asking for right now, I'm not gonna do it. The scripture says they were just trying to test him. They were hypocrites about this sign, but Jesus performed many signs. So we asked the question, why didn't Jesus just perform this sign? He knew the condition of their heart. He knew that they weren't after genuine faith. He knew that their hypocrisy. And so he didn't perform a sign in that case because he had already performed dozens of signs and even more were to come. So Jesus healed people as a sign that he's God. 
But here's the third and perhaps the most significant for the lesson that we're focusing in on this morning. Jesus healed people to reveal that he alone has power to heal the spiritual problems in people. And as as significant as it is to us, that Jesus might touch us and heal us of a physical problem that we have. I want you to understand this morning that it is far greater of a miracle. We sang about a miracle this morning. It is far greater of a miracle when he touches us and he heals a spiritual condition in our lives. Jesus healed the leper to show that he alone has the power to heal people of the leprosy of sin. Jesus healed the deaf to show that he alone has the power to open our ears to hear the word of God. Jesus healed the mute to show that he alone has the power to loosen our tongues and free us to speak the truth of God's word. Jesus raised the dead to show us that he alone has the power to raise those who are dead in their transgressions and sins to a new life in God. Jesus healed the lame to show that he alone has the power to give us legs to walk with God and arms and hands to serve God and to do God's will. Jesus healed the demon possessed to show that he alone has the power to set us free from the kingdom and the dominion of Satan. And Jesus healed the blind to show that he alone has the power to give us spiritual sight. The Bible teaches that this condition of spiritual blindness is universal. It's something that we all know and we all have tasted. We are born into spiritual blindness. Let me give you some examples. We're born blind to the truth that there's a God. We don't know that from birth. We're not aware that there's a God. We certainly don't know who God is. We're born blind to the truth that we are created in the image and the likeness of God to reflect his glory and for God's eternal divine purposes. We don't know that when we're born. We're born blind to the truth that we are sinners and that our sin has separated us from God. We're born blind to the truth that we're selfish and we are self-centered by nature, children of wrath. We are born blind to the truth that there is a consequence for our sin, a consequence that happens both now and this world and also for all of eternity. And we're born blind to the truth that only Jesus alone can save us from the consequence of sin. Because we're born in spiritual blindness, the Bible says that we walk in darkness. Isn't that what it is to be blind? Just to walk in darkness darkness. We walk in the darkness and we think that the world exists to satisfy our own appetites and pleasures. We walk in the darkness and we learn how to use people. Isn't that a nasty phrase, use people? We learn how to use people to gratify our desires at their personal expense. We walk in the darkness and we make idols out of the things of this world, taking the good gifts from the giver and elevating those gifts above him in our affections and desires in our hearts. And we walk in the darkness and we act immorally and we justify, excuse our actions and our behaviors. We naturally have temper tantrums. 
when we don't get what we want. We become cruel in what we say to others. We steal, we lie, we make false accusations. We commit adultery, we covet what belongs to others. We get angry when we don't get what we want or when our expectations aren't met. And because we're immoral, we make foolish decisions that cause great harm to ourselves and to others. We excuse our own behavior while condemning the behavior of others who practice the very same things that we practice. And as we walk in spiritual blindness, the only thing that restrains us is our conscience, which God has given us, the law and the fear of punishment if we break the law. Being spiritually blind and walking in the darkness, it's a terrible and painful way to live. And if you're satisfied with being spiritually blind and walking in the darkness in this world, then darkness is where you will live for all of eternity. Life in hell is just an extension of the darkness people have chosen in this world. Only hell is much worse because the only thing that makes living in the darkness of this world tolerable is the presence of the goodness of God that springs up throughout this world. And after the final judgment, if you end up in hell, his goodness will be removed and all you will know is the darkness. But there is good news in the midst of darkness. Just as Jesus healed the blind man of his physical condition in this story, Jesus wants to heal you of your spiritual blindness and give you sight. The good news is that if you will turn to Jesus this morning, he will open your eyes and help you see him and his love and what he has done for you. So to be healed of your spiritual blindness, according to Jesus in Mark 8, we only went through part of the story so far. You might've noticed we stopped a little short. Through the rest of this chapter, Jesus helps his disciples understand after these three intentional stories strung together, he helps them understand the lessons that they need to know that will change them from being spiritually blind to having spiritual sight. And <laughs> uh, just a spoiler alert here. These all are the work of Jesus and what he does to heal us. Just like Jesus healed that man, we need him to come and heal us from our spiritual blindness. And so these three things that Jesus teaches that will help us find healing from him from spiritual blindness, they're covered in the remaining verses of Mark 8. And so here they are. To be healed of spiritual blindness, you must believe that Jesus is the Messiah. You must believe that Jesus, that he died to atone for your sins and for the sins of the world. And you must believe that Jesus called you to make disciples no matter the cost and that you will answer that call. This is from what Jesus says in Mark 8. So let's look at these three together. First, if you wanna be healed of spiritual blindness, you must believe that Jesus is the Messiah. To be healed of spiritual blindness, Jesus knew that his disciples needed to believe that he is the Messiah. And that's why right after Jesus healed the blind man, what are the very next events that happen in Mark 8? Jesus asks his disciples a question in Mark 8, 27. So now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi and on the road, he asked his disciples saying to them, who do men say that I am? And they answered, 
Some say John the Baptist and some say Elijah and others say one of the prophets. And Jesus said, but who do you say I am? And Peter said in verse 29, you are the Christ. And that word Christ means Messiah. To be healed of spiritual blindness, we must believe that he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. Now, Messiah would be something that would be a word far more significant to us if we were Jewish. But it is, at least in our emotions. But I want you to know, it is very significant to all of us in this room. The Messiah of the Jews is a mysterious figure in Jewish prophecies. The prophets foretold of the coming of the Messiah to heal and to save. And the prophets said some things that were very important about the Messiah so that we would recognize him. For example, the prophet said the Messiah would be born of the tribe of Judah, a direct descendant of King David, born in Bethlehem and born to a virgin. The prophet said that the Messiah would be both the son of man and the son of God. The prophet said that the Messiah would deliver God's people from oppression and restore the fortunes to Israel in a way that made Israel the most prosperous and powerful nation on the earth. The prophets said that the Messiah would remove from his people their heart of stone and he would give to them a heart of flesh by putting his Holy Spirit in them to dwell. And the prophets said that the Messiah would heal them of their spiritual blindness. And this healing would not be exclusive to the Jews. This healing of spiritual blindness would be for the Jew and for the Gentile. And Peter declared that he believed that Jesus is that Messiah. He said, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. And in verse 30, Jesus confirmed that what Peter said was true. He confirmed it by strictly warning them that they should tell no one about him. You got it right, Peter. You understand who I am. Now don't tell anyone. And we asked the question, why did he say that? And I will say, go back in this series and hear the secrets of the kingdom revealed. And we, will, and we answer that question in that particular message, but it was just for a little while so that his mission could be accomplished, that this secret would be kept, and then it would be time for the world to know who he is. So to be healed of spiritual blindness, you must believe what Peter believed in this story. You must believe what Jesus said was true about himself in this story. You must believe that Jesus is God. You must believe that he is the Messiah. You must believe that he is the Christ. But that's not all you must believe. To be healed of your spiritual blindness, you also need to believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah who died on the cross for your sins and for the sins of the whole world. If you don't believe that, you cannot be healed of spiritual blindness. After this pronouncement by Peter, Jesus explained to his disciples what was going to happen next. And hey, this is significant because We've been, we're now in Mark 8, and Jesus has not once yet let on that he is going to go to Jerusalem and be crucified and be resurrected and ascend on high. He hasn't said anything about that yet until this moment. It's like this shift in Mark occurs where his focus is on Galilee, but very soon after this statement, his focus is turned towards Jerusalem and the completion of his mission to die on the cross for the sins of the world, your sins and mine. So this is what Jesus tells them, the first announcement that this is going to occur in Mark 8, 31 through 32. And Jesus began to teach them that the son of man 
must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. He spoke this word openly. Now remember, Peter believed that Jesus is the Messiah. You are the Christ. But Peter did not yet believe that Jesus is the Messiah who had to die on the cross for the sins of the world. We know that from Peter's response in this story, Mark 8, 32 through 33. Then Peter took Jesus aside and what did he do? Peter began to rebuke Jesus. We know from Matthew's gospel account, he says, far be it from you, Lord, for you, Lord, these things will never happen to you. But when Jesus had turned around, he looked at his disciples and he rebuked Peter saying, get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Does that not describe spiritual blindness? Peter was still suffering from spiritual blindness. Like the Pharisees, Peter thought that he could be saved from his, by his good works, the keeping of the law, doing the things the law required. Even though no one kept the law to perfection besides Jesus, there was still this thought that we can, we can attain our own righteousness before God. We can present ourselves holy before God. And, and what Jesus knew was, no, there's only one way. And that way was through him. And so it's like Peter was like this blind man. Remember that blind man who was partially healed? You know, he, he, Jesus touches his eyes and then has him look up to heaven and he says, can you see? And he says, uh, I see uh, men like trees walking. And then Jesus does it again and he looks up to heaven and his sight's restored. Now, was that because Jesus was like, okay, hang on, my powers weren't flowing quite right here. Let me uh, just conjure up a little bit more Holy Spirit and then I can get you healed this time. No, of course not. That's not the point here. So we have to ask, well, why would Jesus do this kind of thing? Why would he partially heal and then completely heal? Does it not make perfect sense in context that Jesus knew the condition of Peter and his disciples? They had a partial sight. They believed he was the Messiah, but they did not yet believe that he was the Messiah who had to die on the cross to atone for the sins of the world. And Jesus wanted them to know he doesn't wanna just partially heal them of their blindness. He wants to completely heal people of their spiritual blindness. Jesus recognized that Peter was still listening to the lies of the enemy. Oh, how many of you get that tape going in your head? How many of you start spinning those lies from the enemy? His lies cause spiritual blindness in us. And Jesus recognized that Peter was listening to the lies of the devil. So he rebuked Satan. The one he knew was at the root of the issue. The one he knew was behind what Peter had said. Satan wants us to believe that we can be made right with God by building a bridge to God through our own good works. Just like he convinced Peter, you don't need to die, Jesus. You far be it from you. You don't need to go to the cross. Don't do that. Peter had no idea what he was saying, how much he needed Jesus to make that sacrifice for him and for the people of the world. And the enemy wants to convince you too that you don't need Jesus to die for your sins, that you don't need his atonement for sin. And the truth is we cannot make amends for our sins against God any more than a murderer can make amends to their victims or to the, vic their, the victim of their family. That murderer may feel extremely sorry for what they've done. That murderer have may, may have severe 
regret for what they've done. That murderer may apologize profusely over and over again. That murderer may even give the family members a large sum of money. But whatever that murderer says or does will never make amends for the life that they took. That cannot be undone. Even the death of the murderer cannot make amends to the victim or the victim's family for the life that they took. And in the same way, all of us have sinned. And there is nothing we can say or do to make amends to God for our sins. We deserve God's judgment and his judgment is our death and to be cut off from his presence forever, eternal separation from God without any hope of reuniting with him. Now, here's what God knew, that apart from your death and separation eternally from him, there was only one other way for God's justice to be satisfied for the sins of the people of the world. And that way was for the creator, God, who made you to take on your form and your likeness, to come to this world and become a son of man so that he could assume responsibility for your sins. You see, Jesus never sinned. And even though he never sinned, he tasted death for you. He tasted sin for you. The scripture says that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Because God loves the world, he sent his son Jesus to accomplish this for us. Jesus never sinned. And when he was executed for the sins of the world, his death fulfilled what was required. The debt for sin was paid in full once and for all. God's perfect justice was completely satisfied through the one offering of Jesus Christ. Now, how badly did Peter need that? He couldn't see it. Far be it from you, Lord. He was rejecting the greatest gift that God had ever planned throughout the history of the entire world. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead confirms his claims to his disciples that he is the son of God. And when he says, my death is going to make atonements for your sins and satisfy the wrath and the justice of God, his resurrection from the dead proves that what he said is true. He died for the sins of the world. He died for your sins and for mine. To be healed of your spiritual blindness, you must believe that. You must believe not only that he is the Messiah, but you must also believe that Jesus died as the Messiah for your sins and for the sins of the world. But according to Jesus in Mark 8, there's one more thing that you need to believe to be healed of your spiritual blindness. To be healed of your spiritual blindness According to Jesus in Mark 8, you must believe that Jesus has called you to make disciples no matter the cost, and you must choose to surrender to that call. After Jesus rebuked Satan, Jesus told his disciples one more thing they needed to do to be his followers. Listen in Mark 8, 34 through 38, to the words of our Lord, to the words of Jesus. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
That's some big words. Whoever desires to come after me, to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? We're talking about the souls of people, the condition of our soul. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Whew. Those words are packed. In this passage, Jesus clearly tells us who will be included in his kingdom when he, when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And who will it be? Based on the words of Jesus here, Jesus said, it would be those who have denied themselves, taken up his cross and followed him. Jesus said, it would be those who have lost their life for his sake and for the sake of the gospel. And Jesus said, it would be those who are not ashamed of him or of his words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Now, Satan's lie is that you can be healed of your spiritual blindness and be a disciple of Jesus, but not be committed to Jesus' mission at all. Our enemy has used this lie to cause most American church members to sit in the stands watching the game rather than getting on the field to play. The idea of a person who is saved from their sins, but is not a disciple of Jesus committed to the mission of Jesus would have been absurd to Jesus and to his disciples but we've done a pretty good job of separating something Jesus would not have separated. The disciples would not have separated. We've done a pretty good job saying, here, here is this forgiveness of your sins, but let me use language we're familiar with, but Jesus isn't gonna be my Lord. I'm not gonna follow him. I'm not gonna leave the things of this world. I'm not gonna turn from sin. I'm not gonna be on mission with him. I'm not gonna see my life from that perspective, but Jesus still go ahead and save me of all my sins. And that idea of separating the forgiveness of sins from the Lordship of Jesus would not even compute for Jesus and his disciples. That would not have, what are you doing separating those things? It's a call to surrender to his Lordship. It's a call to salvation and it's a call from more, to, from more than just forgiveness of your sins. It's a call to exchange your life for his. It's a call for him to be your Lord. But we confuse the issues. We see this idea in many places in the scripture, but it's right here in front of us in Mark 8, what Jesus says. When Jesus had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me. Isn't that, a, I mean, isn't that clear what he's starting with? the whole foundation for what's gonna follow. You desire to come after me? You desire to be with me in the present when I come in the glory of my Father and the holy angels? You desire that? Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. That's your flesh. That's the things in your flesh that we know are not of the Lord. That would be put to death the members of your flesh. You know, the anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy. Pastor Nathan preached on that just a few weeks ago and brought us through Colossians 3. Those things that are not who you are in the spirit, deny those things in your flesh and sin that lives in your flesh. Deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Jesus. Now, 
I need to be really clear here from the words of Jesus that we interpret this passage correctly. Because the cross of Jesus, when he says, take up your cross, it, does, it is not representing the hardships in your life. I've heard too many churchgoers describe their hardships as their cross that they must bear. You know, my cross that I need to bear is some kind of, of grief or it's a, it's a sickness or a, a physical condition. It's a financial burden. It's, it's an estrangement or a trauma. And, and let me just say right here, to be clear, those things are so hard. And the answers for how we carry those things are found in the word of God. And we've preached on them and we'll continue to preach on how we must depend on God in the midst of difficult circumstances in our lives. But make no mistake about this. Those things, those hardships are not the cross that Jesus is saying you need to pick up daily to follow him. How do I know that? Well, one of many ways I know that is because even unbelievers who have outright rejected Jesus endure the same types of hardships that I just described. And Jesus is not talking to unbelievers in this passage. He is talking to those who want to come after him, who want to follow him. Your cross is not your hardships in this life. So then what is it? When Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me, to Jesus, what is the cross that he's calling you to take up? Well, remember the context here. It's the first time he told his disciples what was gonna happen to him. The cross to Jesus represents his mission. He had set his eyes on the mission of God for his life and what he had come to accomplish, what he came to do. When Peter rejected that mission, he said, get behind me, Satan. You're setting your mind on the things of man and not on the things of God. Every day, does anyone doubt in here? Every day, Jesus picked up that cross, that mission, and he set his eyes on what he came to do. Don't you believe that that's true of Jesus? And to be his disciple, to come after him, Jesus is saying, you wanna be healed of your spiritual blindness? You need to pick up your cross daily and live committed to the mission of Jesus. You need to be about my purpose for your life, to go and to make disciples to the ends of the earth. And I just wanna say that there are many of you in this room that are dealing with problems in your life right now that are dominating your life and the source of your spiritual blindness that is keeping you from living on Jesus with, uh, living with Jesus and having eyes to see is this third one. To be healed of your spiritual blindness, you must believe Jesus has given you new life and your new life is found living on mission with him. You must believe that Jesus has called you to make disciples no matter the cost and you will answer that call. Because when things go rough in this world and you encounter very, very difficult circumstances, and you don't have the mission as a framework through which to view those circumstances, those things are gonna derail you so fast. You are gonna get so off course. You're gonna have no lens or perspective. It's just gonna be, well, God just won't bless me. God just won't help me. I try to serve God. I try to do what God wants me to do. And he just never seems to come through for me. And that's gonna be your mindset because you're spiritually blind because you have not yet accepted that in order for Jesus to accomplish his mission, he had to suffer. And if Jesus had to suffer to accomplish his mission and we're his followers and his disciples, doesn't it stand to reason that we are going to have to endure suffering in this life in order to accomplish the mission of Jesus? But if you don't have this perspective, if you don't believe what Jesus taught in Mark 8, 
that you need to be healed of your spiritual blindness by embracing that you have a mission and Jesus has called it to. In other words, that Jesus is Lord, that you will follow him. If you don't believe that, you'll never be healed of your spiritual blindness. You'll be like that man that received partial sight. I see, I see men like trees walking, but you will not be able to see the circumstances of your life clearly from the perspective that God wants you to see it. So now I think we can agree in this room that the threat of physical blindness is a very serious thing. Can't we agree with that, uh, on that? Um, I mean, I think if you just pause for just a moment, if you were facing a threat like that, it would impact so much of your life. You know, our family knows this more than most because as many of you know, my mom received a diagnosis that means that she's facing the possibility of losing her physical sight. And that possibility, first, it prompts at times tendency towards fear or anxiety. I mean, who wouldn't face those temptations to fear and to anxiety with the prospect of losing physical sight? But that possibility impacts my mom's perspective on how she sees the things in this world. It impacts how she thinks about her relationships. It even impacts how she plans for her future. And that possibility of losing her physical sight has also prompted my mom and dad to do everything that they possibly can to preserve her sight in this world. Now, as serious, serious of a problem it is to face the possibility of losing your physical sight, spiritual blindness is even more dangerous. People who are spiritually blind, they think that they can see. Isn't that the nature of being blind, like spiritual, like being, like not being able to see what's going on? Like, I think I've got clarity on this. I think I can see what's really going on. And they can't. And they make the wrong decisions because of spiritual blindness that are painful to themselves and painful to others. Decisions that could have been easily avoided if they weren't spiritually blind. And in this room this morning, I know in a gathering this size, there are people here who are living in spiritual blindness. God is compassionate towards you. He loves you. And he wants you to be aware of your spiritual blindness. Not only that, but Jesus is the one who can heal you of your spiritual blindness if you will come to him for that healing. If you're living in spiritual blindness, according to Jesus in Mark 8, it's because of one of these three reasons. And here they are. We're going to put them back up. Either you have not believed that Jesus is the Messiah. Could that be you? It's one or more of these reasons. It could be multiples of these. You don't believe that he's the Christ. You don't believe he's the Messiah. You don't believe that he is God. Or you have not believed that Jesus had to die on the cross to atone for your sins. That forgiveness of your sins would not be possible. A right standing with God would not be possible apart from the death and the sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf to atone for your sins. Or you could still be living in spiritual blindness because you have not believed that Jesus has called you to make disciples of him no matter the cost and that you will live on mission with him. So what is it like when you believe these things? How can you know if you're spiritually blind or not? 
well, when you believe these things, I want you to understand what characterizes this person. And I, and I, I don't want us to get the, the misconception that there is never a battle with the flesh anymore, but I am telling you the spirit rules over the flesh when you believe these things. When you put into perspective who Jesus is, what he's done for you and who you are because of it, and you do that all the time and you stir up faith in that and you believe those things, your beliefs, your true beliefs will determine the way you live. They will determine what you think. They will determine what you say. So what is it like when you believe these things? Well, when you believe these things, you wake up every day recognizing that you do have a flesh and that sown into that flesh are all kinds of issues that can cause spiritual blindness. Sin itself is sown into your flesh. Pride and greed and resentment and evil lust and passions are sown into your flesh. But when you believe these three things are true, you begin your day focusing back on Jesus, who he is and what he's done for you. You begin the day in some form or fashion with some sort of language. You begin the day by picking up your cross, Jesus' mission. And once again, you tell the Lord, here we go again today, Jesus. I am on mission for you. That is why I'm here. That is why I, uh, I exist. My wife and I were talking about this recently and she said something like, I just start the day and I go, oh Lord. And I said, you do that too? I start the day the same way. Oh Lord, here we go. I feel my flesh. I feel its tendencies. I feel its pull away from you. God, help my soul. God, I need you. Rather than getting dragged down by your flesh and the things of this world, if you are characterized by these beliefs, you walk with God. You depend on him for help and you ask him for help to see everything that is happening in your life from a spiritual perspective. Now I wonder, am I describing you right now? When I say this is what these beliefs will produce in the life of someone who has not, does not have spiritual blindness but has spiritual sight, Am I describing you or do you stumble through your days in the flesh? Do you stumble through your days defeated by sin? Do you not even understand what the purpose is here? Am I describing you? Is this what characterizes your life or is it something else? If I'm not describing you when I talk about this kind of practice, this kind of faith, then I'm describing someone who lives in spiritual blindness. I wanna ask this morning if our response team would come up to the front right now. And I wanna give an invitation this morning. And here's the invitation, just really simple. I know there are people in spiritual blindness this morning and it's because of one of two reasons. There are some of you that are living in spiritual blindness this morning because look up at this list, you've never believed that all three of these things are true. The reason you're in spiritual blindness is because you have not believed the truth that Jesus is God. You have not believed the truth that he died on the cross to atone for your sins and there is no other way to be forgiven of your sins except through faith in him. And you have not decided that you are going to follow him as your Lord. And if that's you, if you haven't believed all three of these things, then you are living in spiritual blindness. And during our time of invitation this morning, I want to encourage you to come up and to talk to one of these people and say, I know I'm in spiritual blindness, but I want to believe. There's a story we're gonna hear soon in Mark where this father cries out and, and he wants his son to be healed. And, and he's coming to Jesus for that healing. And he says, if you can, uh, would you heal my son? And Jesus says, if I can, all things are possible for those who believe. And the father cries out and says, I believe, help 
my unbelief. If you haven't believed these three things this morning, there's no way for you to receive your sight except to come to Jesus and just say, I believe, help my unbelief. Please heal me of spiritual blindness and give me sight. That could be the first reason that you're living in spiritual blindness. You just don't know Jesus. The second reason you could be living in spiritual blindness this morning is, hey, you've made these three decisions. Like if you took inventory of your soul right now, you'd say, I believe that Jesus is my Messiah. You say, I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that he is Lord. But somehow, somewhere along the way, you've allowed your soul to drift from your mission. You've started living this life instead of losing this world and losing your life to find life in Jesus and to find life in his gospel. You've been going through this life like it exists for you. Like you're the center of the universe. That's kind of a hard way to say it, but maybe that's true in your soul. That what you do is really about you and not about him. Well, even if you're a believer, the scripture teaches that our hearts can drift from God. We can become blinded once again by the things of this world, the cares and the concerns of this world. And what we need to do is just come back to Jesus and say, oh, you've healed my sight, heal it again. You've given me life, renew my life in you again. I want to follow you. And if you'll do that, he will heal you of your spiritual blindness and you'll have sight to see and you'll live on mission with him. For so many of you, the problems in your life right now are caused by blindness. You're not living from a spiritual perspective. Jesus wants to heal that blindness this morning. Would you please stand with me right now? We don't want anyone to leave this room without the opportunity for prayer. So whoever you are, and wherever you fall in what I've described this morning, if there's a need in your life for healing from spiritual blindness, we wanna invite you during a time of prayer just to come forward and to pray with one of these leaders on this response team. They are ready to guide you to relationship with Jesus. And they're ready just to talk with you and pray with you about whatever it is in your life that is putting up the blinders and keeping you from living on mission for Jesus. So I would just ask that right now that we would just allow a spirit of humility to fall on us as we close this service. And if the Lord's prompting you of anything at all, that you would just come and receive prayer for whatever that is. So some are already coming. Let's pray and you come as the Lord leads you. Lord, I thank you so much that you are the compassionate God who loves us, that you care about us so much that you wanted to make a way for us to be healed of our spiritual blindness. Lord, I know that there are some in this room who have never been healed. Lord, open their eyes. You've got to do it, God. We can't open our eyes for ourselves any more than a blind man can restore his own sight. Lord, open our eyes that we might know you and see the truth. And then Lord, for those, you've opened their eyes, but there's something stuck in it. It's blurry, it's some affection for this world. It's some, it's some way that they've elevated the things of this world ahead of you. Lord, I pray that this morning would be the day that they would say, I've been acting blindly. Lord, restore my sight yet again. You've already given me sight. Now, Lord, clear it up. Help me see what you want me to see. Oh, Lord, if you will move like that on us, God, we will be your people who take your message to the world and who make disciples of you. 
So now you just continue to pray and there are one or two others available to pray, but I just wanna ask maybe one or two more leaders, if you could, to come up and don't let a line keep you from doing business with the Lord this morning. Just come and stand in line and someone else will come up and pray with you as well. But let's just pause one more moment in the presence of the Lord. Heal us of spiritual blindness. Help us see it, God. by seeing one verse of this hymn and just let this be our prayer of humility that the Lord would be faithful and he would restore to us our sight. I pray that you're blessed. I pray that you're encouraged in the Lord and that as you leave this place, you go out with a renewal of his mission and his purpose for your life, that you would live in perspective of the kingdom, that you would believe the truth that you are called to make disciples and that you would interpret the issues and hardships of this life from a lens of God is working all these things together to accomplish his purposes in me and to fulfill his mission for his kingdom. Now go be like Jesus and live on mission for him this week. Thank you for being here this morning and you are dismissed.